Welcome back to Discursion, a film criticism podcast with Dominic Lash and Stephen Roberts. In the last episode, we talked about F.W. Murnau's film The Last Laugh, continuing this series theme of the moving camera. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back. We talk about the production context, the story, German expressionism, some of the key themes that permeate the film. In this follow-up episode, we're going to focus on a key sequence and talk about that moving camera in more detail. Here we see the unbound camera of Eftebuma, now cinematographer Carl Freund, as it follows the main character, played by Emil Jannings, going to work at night to retrieve his uniform. He's been fired from the hotel, but he's going to regain his sense of pride uh, and his status symbol in the local community before attending his daughter's wedding. Dominic starts episode 16 by telling you specifically where in the film you can watch this sequence. So listen out. So yeah, we've just watched the sequence when um, when he steals his uniform back, which is about just roughly about thirty minutes into the film until about thirty four and a half, something like that. Um, do you want to tell us what happens in the sequence? Here? Yeah, I can talk us through. Um, so we start with a kind of long shot, medium long shot of the frontage of the hotel at night time. And then sudden kind of reverse dolly, I guess you'd call it. Um, bring in the main character, Emil. Um, Which is really, <clears throat> sorry, interrupting, but it's really interesting because it's not a, it's, as it were, a, a narrational ca- camera movement rather rather than a, than a subjective camera movement. Although it is somehow related to his subjectivity, but he's not. Yeah, just to be literal about it, he's not standing in front of the hotel there and then running backwards across the street. Um, it's sort of, it's somehow, it sort of abruptly brings us to his his literal point of view, which is further back. Um, Absolutely. It takes you from, I suppose, uh, a, a sort of routine establishing shot. It's nicely framed by, the, you know, the door at the front of the hotel backwards. And then you're thinking in terms of maybe um, a sort of, uh, Emil uh, approaching this uh, like a thief or, or or a bank robber or something like that. You're suddenly shown the kind of broader context, and it becomes a kind of an approach to. Yes. It seems further away. Uh, it is literally further away, mm. uh, isn't it? But for the main like, character to to kind of sneak in there, yes, but it's the like, challenge is set. Sort of the sudden, a sudden revelation, but it's really interesting because the more the more obvious thing to do i think would to would be to do that shot in such a way as to suddenly reveal that he's there watching from the other side of the of the road so either either swinging around or somehow pulling back but to keep them both in frame but it doesn't do that it does almost become his you know subjective yeah it's really quite Hmm. it shows how it's not you can't sort of pin those things down in a in a in a in a crudely literal way, that's not that's not how it works. I think maybe we'll 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 just talk about the the camera movements as they arise. You know, as we're mm. walking through this sequence, to, to so to stay with this one a little bit longer, the the movement is also quite speedy, isn't it? Mm. Um, almost disorienting, um, and you see the camera move at different places throughout the film mm. sometimes you don't even notice it and at other times it seems to be very much foregrounding yes. um film technique it's also worth just sort of saying that it's not you know well one might if one hadn't seen the film and just 
read some things about it, one might get the impression that the whole film is full of you know swooping cameras, as as are some other films from around you know maybe slightly slight, slightly later in this period. But in in fact, it's quite sparing in the use of the moving camera, yeah. or at least the, the use of the dramatically moving camera, isn't it? I think that's what makes it so effective in some cases that it's largely a, a static it seems like heresy to say this but it's largely a static <clears throat> conventional silent film setup with dialogue sequences um in sort of long shot i guess yes. medium long shot i guess there's a fair amount of sort of you know fairly straightforward subtle kind of panning so there's kind of getting the characters in frame yeah it's not quite that that sort of slightly earlier silent image one has of the camera being perhaps slightly further back from where we would tend to have it now you know and and leaving things like that it's slightly different it has aspects of that but yeah you know perhaps excuse me perhaps in some ways the main grammar is perhaps the whole grammar of this film perhaps it's just been so influential is in some ways um quite quite familiar in in i mean in in other ways it's really not and it still stands out and it's remarkable but also um you know what i mean it's sort of this is how 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 films often work these days right for most of the time the camera is sort of it's like you say able to kind of reframe but it's not doing anything and anything particularly dramatic and then in certain moments there is dramatic like, movement like, like touch of evil you know or you know yeah. other yeah. other later hollywood right. films which which combine celebrated mm. long take moving camera sequences and more kind of static uh with with slight you know reframings d- during dialogue um yeah certainly um i'm not sure if we want to say any more about this particular shot but um the character yeah goes surreptitiously mm. um enters the hotel which is something we'll see him repeat later on when he decides shamefully to return his uniform and he crosses the lobby and notices the night watchman is about and might notice him. Mm. We don't see the night watchman immediately from, at least from Yanning's perspective, we see the the light uh, that is being projected from this sort of chest level lantern that the watchman is wearing. It's like an echo of the cinematographer in a way, Carl Freund with his chest strapped camera man becoming yeah. machine. It's almost we... like a sort of miner's lantern, but he's sort of or yeah, but he's he's wearing it. Um it's great when we first see him. We see him sort of across the other side of a big space, almost like a ballroom. I mean maybe it is a ballroom with a imposingly heavy unlit sort of uh, candelabra elaborate candelabra thing above his head and he comes towards us with this light shining directly in the camera. So it's actually it's quite dazzling. It almost makes one want to sort of look away at times. It's funny how these these um, these objects, which in the daytime seem quite magnificent and glamorous at night, look a bit more industrial. Like, mm. and you get the imposition of technology that reminds me of Metropolis or something like that. Everything seems much heavier, and we have, of course, the Night Watchman being sort of uh weighed down almost by his lantern he's moving quite mm. slowly and also his massive ring of keys on his yeah, wrist and his you know. heavy coat he's some some sort of figure out of greek myth as well some sort of you know terrifying god figure even though his face is is, is not terrifying it's very interesting how that develops like you say later there's a explicitly sort of rhymed sequence when yanning sneaks back to um um 
to give the coat back. That, that really struck me as well. It's, it's fascinating in terms of Yannings' um, performance because the beginning of the film, he's entirely upright. You know that that's his stance. You know in this in this amazing uniform that he has. You know whether he's at work or, or, or at home, as we've talked about. And then in this in this sequence that, that we're talking about now, he becomes he's sort of you know bowed forwards. Um, but it's expressing surreptitiousness sur- and, mm. you know, it's sort of almost... I mean, it is also quite funny, this sequence. Again, it's, 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 it's amazing how Murnau can get both... It's you know, genuinely tense and it's also quite funny, like when, again, the moving camera later, I'm jumping ahead, but when it when it reveals all the um, the, the the sort of night staff on the front desk all, all fast asleep, it's, yeah, it's both tense and, and it's quite funny. But yeah, so he's almost doing a kind of, you know, Looney Tunes kind, kind of tiptoeing forward. Um, but then in the later sequence, when he comes to, to give the coat back, he's very similar posture, but now it expresses kind of humiliation. Mm. The, the, there is a, yeah, the, it, it's it's amazing how his appearance adapts throughout the film and his hair actually mm. has yeah. three discernible phases as he goes from doorman to you know attendant washroom attendant to millionaire billionaire uh probably millionaire in that period not billionaire but um in this sequence yes he's bowed he's trying to distribute his weight evenly because he's trying to be quiet yeah which for us is odd because we're watching a silent film in a period of, of sound cinema perhaps and so you know from an audience perspective his movements are silent anyway but we we are imagining that within the world of the film he would be his footsteps would be ringing you know in this massive space that we've already kind of outlined um yes, it's probably a noisy floor isn't it it's probably not in the halls they're probably not lushly carpeted it's probably uh you know it's sort of we don't see it, I think, really. But I imagine it's kind of very polished wood or marble, even or something. Quite, and it would, it would, it would echo, wouldn't it? He's yeah. quite a heavy man, yeah. so he's he's crouched down. But as you say, it does have implications for how he how he appears, um, uh, uh, sort of surrept- surreptitious uh, because of this, and mm. um, he's he's bowed almost as well. And sort of, I think there is a bit of shame creeping in at this point as well, and he he knows that he. he probably shouldn't be doing this mm. you know having been a loyal employee for so many no, sure. years but it's more uh, of a it's it, it's a more minor note at this point and then it becomes the dominant note that, that, that later later let's yeah. get to later so he's he's he notices the night watchman's you know as i say spotlight on the wall ahead uh great great bit of lighting diagetic mm. lighting <laughs> so you probably call it, it doesn't the term doesn't quite work but uh you doesn't have to be in shot for lighting to be diagetic no. but you know we see we we understand we interpret from from the from the spotlight that the night watchman is is coming mm. um as i say almost sort of android like uh machine like yeah. yeah yeah uh when that lighting is extraordinary i mean it's really good in this sequence but even yeah yeah uh to cheat slightly i mean it's used i think if anything even more extraordinarily in in the later sequence when when he brings the coat back and they actually meet so you you get you get spotlight on the um i mean it's a two shot you, you can see see the both of them you get spotlight on the coat when the night one's looking at the coat and then he then he looks up at, at yanning's face spotlight on yanning's face and then like yeah he sort of turns away in shame and you get you know dramatic shadow cast onto the wall and etc etc all these things which if they were done um with 
a sort of yeah might be seen seen as as crude if 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 they were done sort of with a light source which was unexplained yeah. um but it's incredibly natural but incredibly dramatic i mean maybe that's the thing that um or you know one of the the simple ways in which this sort of uses expressionist kind of techniques is it it just uses them it just works really well in 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 a non fantastic context cuz you know fear and and uh you know, terror and angst and all, all all these emotions work perfectly well when there aren't aren't vampires. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> quite right. Um, uh, yes, uh, and and yeah. So yeah, uh, just society. You know, can, can be really scary. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And this is the position he finds himself. Yeah. Kind of just being in a hotel alone at night is is yeah it's, it's frightening and the light yeah I, I don't know i mean i guess this is kind of an obvious point but somehow it seems um to for for in the context of expressionism yeah it's important not to tie it down i suppose it, we not to confuse it with genre maybe that's one way of saying it um yeah no that's a good way of putting it it's also it's also that it doesn't it doesn't sort of cause a problem while watching this film it just it just works right i mean it doesn't i think that goes back to what i was saying a while ago about how this film doesn't feel like like a mashup of different tendencies which perhaps that Eisner quote might seem seem to imply and that's sort of one of the reasons why mm. um in a way um you know because expressionism is more than expressionist kind 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 of techniques you know yeah um, yeah and so maybe this in expressionism with a capital E, this film definitely isn't that, and that seems fine. Um, let's 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 carry on with this with this sequence because there are some wilder uh, aspects of of, uh, of of technique as it as it progresses that I think tied quite nicely with that. So after he's stolen, so after he's 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 creeped in. Uh, there's a there's a moment where he checks the room where the uniform is stored it looks through the glass doesn't he mm. and you sort of lose his lose his face is sort of silhouetted behind the glass but those aren't the same i think something related happens here sorry i i keep mentioning things from other parts of the film just because it, 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 it sort of works though yeah. So, yeah i love how yeah how you know obviously you know we talk about like you know lighting and windows and mirrors and things are so crucial in in in, in this film but um, yeah, what you're saying there about the door into where the um, uniform is kept reminds me. I love what's done with the doors. So his the uh, washroom, which he becomes the attendant of, which is at, at the bottom of a of a sort of quite broad but short flight of stairs, and there's two big, mostly glass doors at the top. And it's amazing what's done with them because I think early on those doors are like completely black. It's almost like a sort of portal of um, you know the underworld. I mean, you, you, it goes in and goes down. But then in in other sequences, it's very it's very important that you know we see through them and sometimes see through the swinging door at the bottom. You know, see what's happening in um, in the washroom. So yeah, you know, I mean, glass is right. Glass can can be everything from opaque to allowing you to see things to reflecting things and the film uses all those yeah properties in kind of amazing ways absolutely i suppose it's uh hmm. it's is it handy for a film to have these uh 
frames within frames given mm. a lot of it is about how one views the main character you know yeah uh obviously we're talking in visual terms but there's also the judgment the societal judgment yeah. of of him um and there's also sort of miniature frames within frames when we view the tenement buildings and yeah. we can see the families and yeah, yeah. assume there is activity. I mean, it's a sleight of hand on the part of the set design because, of course, it makes the space look much deeper than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also conveys that idea of mm-hmm. uh, little microcosms yeah. of, of, of community, um, which we can look into, which also look you know back at us into yeah. the forecourt yeah, and, yeah. and and so on but well, yeah they're looking uh, back i mean we mentioned they're looking back at us is crucial in this sequence of the the night watchman approaching us with his light coming towards us you know. so we've left we've kind of left his viewpoint a little bit here haven't we as well um there are bits where we slide in and out of his perspective where we can only see what he sees yeah but here we've definitely removed ourselves from that um we're looking directly at him, looking through the glass. Um, he does. He does slip in, steals the uniform, and makes his escape. Um, before that, we uh, have a sort of climax, if you like, or mm. a, a mini sort of crisis within this uh, sequence, where uh, he notices that the foyer is full of uh, attendants sleeping. Uh, there's three or four of them, and in order to reveal this, we have him glance out of shot and then a pan, quite a rapid pan, a, possibly a slight dolly in uh, to to the desk where they're all sat. Is that... I think there's quite a big dolly, isn't there? You yeah. Just, and then it, the dollies because then... Yeah, so there's this movement and then we see all the... As we said, well, the sleeping, you know, the rather comically sleeping... Um, attendance at the desk even though there's also moment of maximal tension and and again the two things don't seem to you know, disrupt each other which is one might think that they would you know you might think that laughter breaks the tension but for, for me it doesn't again another and then he runs past the camera doesn't he, he so if the camera moved that's right it's a definitely dollies which by which we mean a camera actually moving through the space yeah as opposed to a pan which could be a static uh, sort of shift of the camera from left to right. So again, it relates to what we were saying about that first dramatic movement in this sequence where it comes back, that it's not... Like, one might think... If you just sort of sat down and thought... Of, if, you, if you watched a few films, sat down and thought about how they worked without kind of you know, watching too many of them, you might think that camera movement must either you know reflect what a character is seeing or it must be give you some idea of the film directors or at least whatever the that force which is sort of you know creating the film sort of fictionally it must give you you know their point of view like people talk about oh and then hitchcock shows us x you know um but i think the new when you watch how this film works it doesn't and how these particular movements actually it, it doesn't work like that you know it's not that when we partly maybe it's the how is it to do with rhythm again, like you're saying, to do with you don't have time to ask yourself certain questions. Mm. I mean, what I'm saying really is that we have these camera movements which are clearly not the character's point of view. So, we've, I mean, not their literal point of view. As you said, we've had um, it's really the relationship between literal point of view and and sort of actual, um, you know, 
kind of figurative point of view because in a sense when the camera dollies to reveal the sleeping attendants it is Yannick's point of view it's not literal because he hasn't run out to that position it's not what he's seeing but it's what he's he's attending to but then when he runs past it then can't be what he's he's attending to it's now doing something else within the same take but I don't think we have a sense of like, ah, oh, this is Murnau's view. You know, that that's not it, it. It's too kind of quick and fast moving for that. I, the, the the speed of it is important, isn't it? Because that tells us that it has something to do with the sudden shock of Yannings that he's going to have to cross in front of these, you know, sleeping attendants which we know is important more broadly because if mm. he gets caught out, there is a sort of double shame of having been demoted and yes. of having to try and steal back his yeah. symbolic uniform. But the pace of it, for me, I, I read that as, yeah, it's not literally him. We know it's not literally him running out and past them. Um, neither is it um, a a showcasing of, of, of film technique as such, but more a sort of middle ground where... Mm we have a fast disclosure because we have the extension of, I suppose, a way of of Yannick's his thoughts into that kind of space yeah. he's going to have to cross. But also yeah. it's the, the shock of it, the, the quickness with yeah. which he realises I might get caught out here yeah, that yeah. matters. A gradual reveal mm. would suggest something different, perhaps. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Yannick, what would that suggest, I suppose, yeah. if it was a slow... Mm. I'm asking yours if you're one of my Phil students, I'm sorry <laughs> putting you on the spot, but I'm not, I genuinely don't know. I mean, no. would it be more a sort of a contemplative, how am I going to approach this? Right, exactly. Rather than he, an instinctual f- fight or yeah. flight. I mean, yeah, you know, he's not in a calm state of mind. I mean, he's he's creeping around, so he's, he's the tension, he's, he's moving slowly, or he has been up to that point, but he has to sort of think fast and he's 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 not in a... He's not thinking slowly. He's not thinking very clearly. He's not thinking. Yeah, the camera is 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 also ha- moving at the space of rate mm. of thought, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. But it's amazing. I just Murnau. I mean, obviously, you know, Murnau and and his collaborators are like extraordinary filmmakers. But it's real. I don't know. It just makes yeah. Sort of looking at a sequence like this and analysing it in this kind of way, which of course is not what you do when you watch the film. You know, but. It's what we like to do, you know, to step back and think about this. It just shows how, um, just, just how great Murnau was at sort of finding out. Um, said it's it's not an intellectual idea about what um, certain devices ought to achieve. It's it's his real gift for finding out what moving the camera in a certain way and, ha- and moving the actors past it and blah, 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 what those things actually do, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes, again, it's like sometimes things you hear about the long take. Oh, the long take ex- expresses continuity. and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yes, it's but it's used to do those things by certain filmmakers. And of course, there's reasons why it's uh, successful at that. But there are all sorts of of other things it can do and similarly you know a moving camera um moving camera is just a moving camera you know yeah but he finds he uses moving camera to do these amazing things which i suspect one might not think would have the effect that they have if you simply describe them you know without watching the film let's say You, you might think it it sounds like it would be confusing in in a way that it simply isn't Mm. It's funny how you you almost don't notice, no, yeah. um, unless you're watching it from 
our perspective of yeah oh, we're going to do a podcast on this so what are we going to say about it i mean in, in, a, in a more general viewer yeah uh context no, it, you know it, it's actually very i mean it's subtle and complicated when you try and express it but it's very when you watch it it's 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 very clear when shall we go outside oh yeah and by i don't mean literally but uh let's very much you know focus on the film but he Yannick's after after escaping creeps outside and we have a shot of him around the corner another corner uh looking back at the hotel knowing he's escaped and uh i suppose it's sort of reflecting on what has just happened mm. and the potential risk of yeah. what's just happened and what might come in future um and we have him stooped over again uh sort of caught between escape and a reflection and he does the wonderful gnarled hand mm. thing, the crushed hand that makes me think of Nosferatu yeah. and other other shadows and uh, limbs mm. <laughs> in, in Murnau's film and in expressionist cinema. Um, the posture is is modified just slightly again, yeah. isn't it, to yeah. to capture that sort of corruption, I suppose, of his, you know, his. Uh, well, before he was a, a sort of quite a, uh, a well thought of generous. He was literally an upstanding citizen. I mean, upstanding he straight, you know, <laughs> like we were saying about Very his change of posture. Yeah. Very and good. He's now not. And then he looks back and then he imagines or we see the hotel frontage, the whole building collapsing in on him. Yeah, it falls down on him. He says it is, it is, it is almost like, you know, those bits in Inception when the city is fold on top of uh, um on top of Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> you know. Except for um, definitely not Leonardo DiCaprio. No. But I had the exact same thought, yeah. And I th- actually think far be it for me to crit- I think I think it works quite well. But for- I mean, okay. Like that sequence is a kind of expressionist thing, I think. It's, it's, it's maybe it's helpful to yeah, so for I mean I wouldn't say that it, it doesn't work, but for me it's not what I would single out as some of the most interesting things that happen. You know, because they're the things we've been talking about, which are in, entirely you know, realist. I mean, in a crude sense, but very expressive and you know, atmospheric, and but also expressive of yeah. psychology, etc., etc. And you have then sequences like when he's blind drunk and having his okay. So then it's it's and having his sort of drunken dreams. Um, I mean, again, that's it's very simple. That's that's why things are weird. It's because he's dreaming. Um, but that sort of releases a certain kind of exuberance of, of, of technique and allows man to do all sorts of interesting things with, you know, out of focus images and all that kind of stuff. So that's great, but it's not. Um, it's it's clearly separated off as a dream sequence. Whereas this is, this is expressionist because he doesn't act. You know, he, he feels like it, it's a sort of almost literal visual representation of him feeling like the building seems to be falling on top of him. Yeah, and it, for me, it stands out a little bit. Like, right, most of the rest of the film doesn't operate like that. Wouldn't you say? It's the seamlessness of it, I suppose. When we have the drunken sequence, we know that he's drunk. Yeah. Um, here we have to. I suppose think a bit more carefully about his his state of mind. It's it's sort of entering it's it's entering his consciousness in a way that the other stuff, you know, reflects his consciousness, but it it doesn't it doesn't depart from reality in in, in the way that 
that this sequence does. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there is a phrase that goes like, I felt like the... Maybe there is something about, I felt like the world was falling in on me, or I felt like I sank through the floor, but it's that kind of thing that he's experiencing. Uh, uh, We we then have... it might not be noticed, but a, a, a straight cut to a long shot. It's actually further back. Mm. We see more of the hotel, tall hotel building and him. Yes. It seemed to be quite desolate and, yes. and alone. Yeah, that's almost the snap shot, back to reality. It's almost the shot we didn't get at the beginning, right? It's the shot one could have. I mean, it would be hard to have done it at, at, at the time, I think, just because of how far you'd have to go. But, you know, if you pulled back from that very first shot in this sequence of, of the... Um, of the hotel and then pull back to as a bird's eye view that showed him 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 crouching across the corner um as we were saying but you know that's not what it does but we almost get we get the shot later which we don't get earlier that shows the two of them um in one image or in relation to each other and he's um but i almost find that that's just as effective as showing him kind of dwarfed by by the building as you know and that's an entirely realist realistic i mean it's it's literally a bird's eye view but there's nothing fantastic about the image but he still it still sort of looks like he's going to be crushed by the building yeah that's that's precisely it isn't it you have the comparison of the two ways of seeing Mm. or feeling it immediately one after the other um there's also uh a matter of technique there i was just thinking in terms of what you said about you know what you can reveal happening within a frame just strikes me with the academy aspect ratio and we're in the silent era so it's 1.33 to 1 in order to have a long shot you're also forced to reveal quite a lot vertically as well so Mm. when you when you pull back and you have him in the corner of the frame you then also have to show more of the hotel frontage as well, you know. So yes, yeah. I, which relates to that, I suppose, earlier sequence of the hotel kind of falling, falling in on him, seeming massive, but it sort of reinforces that. But but yeah, these things are also constrained by you know the technology that's being used, uh, you know the the, te- the techniques that are sort of possible. Yeah. I suppose um, I know we've been talking what, what, about the moving camera the the ways in which it was liberated and so on yes um but there are also sort of more conventional constraints uh, yeah well i mean that's what's great about the whole thing is is that the moving camera is so much it doesn't make a great deal of sense to isolate it it's so much you know it's it's um its relationship to you know what's done with lighting and framing and acting and all, all, all all those things um you know, there are so many relationships between those that, you know, I think in some places lighting is used to do things which are similar to what the camera, you know, movement does. Yeah, mm. it comes back to the thing about it being kind of a very integrated film, actually. It's an integrated film sort of technically or, you know, aesthetically. I mean, sort of in the plastic sense. Architecturally, yeah. as Manal said, you know. Um, um, I can see, I can, I, you know, it has been claimed that this is... It, the greatest silent film ever made, and I'm not sure if I. Well, it's a, maybe a silly game to be playing, but I, I don't find that a weird claim anyway. Let's put it that way. I think it does feel like one of those films that one will. Um, I don't know this because I haven't seen it anywhere near that many times, but that one might watch and 
find things on the 20th you know viewing that um one hadn't seen uh which is interesting given that it's actually such such a simple plot it's it's, it's often it's funny how that how that can often be the case right films you might think that you know a complicated film you'll need to watch more times and yeah but sometimes you know i've certainly found with <laughs> certain films of Christopher Nolan you know let's say you know naming no names that they can be exciting the first time and you think they'll be fun the next time because you'll unpick more stuff and then you find that actually you'd seen it all, all, all the first time whereas this film um, there's not much more to see about the overall narrative as you said it's it, it's incredibly simple but yet I I expect I will see things on the 20th viewing of this film that I hadn't spotted until then. I, I agree. I think of the silent films that have survived and of which I have seen. So we're talking a very small percentage, actually. Um, you know, I, this is one of the one of the best I've, I have had the pleasure of watching. And I think it, as well as reminding us that while we can get more detail on repeat viewings it reminds us that um films um film history should be viewed from a perspective of films got progressively better over time <laughs> as the technology improved and we've been referencing a quite quite liberally <laughs> but quite provocatively <laughs> films like inception special effects and in inception and 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 comparing it to the, to the moving camera of later films like the 1940s 50s hollywood and last time of course we talked about Ophel's film when so the moving camera i think is quite a nice theme because it allows you to jump between these different national contexts and different directors and the recurrent theme within that is that really it's about it's about those uh app specific applications isn't it constrained right. by whatever production uh technologies were available um yes. at the time and and that's where you could be a bit more uh, a bit fairer a bit less um uh teleological you know i suppose yeah. in your view of what what if what, what the value of a film style yeah. is yes 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 yeah i think two things to say this quickly one is that of course that you know constraints are not constraints and not not limitations in in the negative sense right constraints i mean you know any technique has things it can and can't do and that's how you make art you know i mean it's not a it's not a it's it's not a uh it's not a failing of the sonnet that it has 14 lines you know that's what a sonnet is and i think it's kind of helpful to think of cinema technology in that way you know it, it's not it's not uh and in that sense, it's not a limitation of silent film that there wasn't any sound. It's just that's the nature of the medium. I think one. I mean, perhaps that's being a bit extreme, but I think one can make a case along that line. And and yeah, and secondly, that um, I like what um, there's something and Andrew Clevin's book about. Um, I think it's called Aesthetic Evaluation and and Film, and he just he, he makes the the point, you know, very clearly that you can't say what. A certain you know, editing pattern or camera movement or you know, any other concrete feature of film style means in the abstract because all of these things are only have the meaning that they have in specific films you know i mean at specific moments in specific films i mean i think that's sort of you know, echoing what what you were just saying it's not to say one can't sort of make comparisons or sort of generalize but you can't you can't generalize in in the sense of saying you know the moving camera does this 
I think that would just be unhelpfully broad or, or, or just untrue, you know, because one would be able to find examples of films that use moving cameras to do something very different from whatever it is that you just claim that moving cameras always do. Indeed. And we will continue, we will continue exploring this question of what the moving camera does <laughs> in our next um, podcast episode. Yeah, but let's find a film that does something very different with it than this film. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That leads me to say thank you for listening. Uh, I think we had a good time. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, I Do- did. Dominic's nodding. And um, if you if you would like to continue with us uh, on this journey on this movement of the camera, uh, do follow us at Twitter. We're at Discursion Film. Uh, you could also listen to the podcast on Spotify, Acast, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.